Hey, thanks for tuning in to the First Monroe podcast. For more information on our church, visit firstmonroe.com. We hope you enjoy. about the purpose of marriage is the purpose of the marriage is for me to be happy so some people may say that's this grand purpose for marriage the reason why I get married the reason why people get married is to be happy I think other people may say the overall grand purpose for marriage is to have children some people may say the overall purpose or thing of marriage is to find companionship so as we journey through life is to find someone that will walk with us in our journey for life, or some people may just say just the general big, the purpose of marriage is love. Now, let me just say this. Um, I think in, in marriage, all those things that I name come out of marriage. Does happiness come from marriage for sure? Is there, there's great joy in marriage. Does love come from marriage? Does companionship, does children, those things come from marriage? Absolutely. But when we really begin to sum it all down, none of those are the grand purpose for marriage. Let me just say this for us, and I think this is something that I struggle with and maybe you struggle with as well. There's a problem, I think, for all of us that we've grown up in a culture that's very me-centered. We grow up in, in, a, in a culture, in Western culture here in America, that we, we focus everything and we filter everything through how does this affect me. I've told you this before, we've addressed this when it comes to church. Many times people process churches, not what I can offer to church, but many people process when they come to churches, what can the church do for me? How is the church meeting my needs? Is it what I like? And so people say, well, if it's not what I like, then I'm just going to leave. We do that a lot with many things in this world. And one of the things we do is we filter marriage through this idea of self. People are frustrated many times in marriage because we focus it through, this marriage is not meeting my needs, this marriage is not meeting my expectations. But one of the things we need to see is that marriage has nothing to do with you. And here's what's crazy, I think many of us, when we think through marriage, we think it has to do all with us. And I would say that's why I think many marriages, there's frustration in marriages, is because marriage has nothing to do with you. So if you take notes this morning, I want to offer you hopefully an answer to this question, what is the ultimate purpose, the grand purpose for marriage? And let me just say this. Here's my prayer this morning. My prayer is that God would open our eyes to see the bigness of what he intended marriage to be. Let me just say this, just so that people won't tune me out. This message this morning is not just for people in the room that are married. Whether you're thinking of marriage, whether you're a student, whether you're a college student, whether marriage is maybe sometime in your future, I think all of us need to process through what is the big grand purpose of marriage, and it's, just, and it's this if you take notes. The ultimate purpose of marriage is God's glory. The ultimate purpose, the reason why God created marriage was to display His glory. Can you get happiness from marriage? Absolutely. Does marriage provide you with great companionship? Absolutely. But the grand purpose of marriage has all to do with God and His glory. You should have your Bibles turned to Genesis chapter 2. I want to start in verse 18 and we'll read through verses 24. And then what we'll do is we'll draw several points this morning. Starting in verse 18, it says this, Then the Lord said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him an helper fit for him. Now out of uh, the ground the Lord had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought to them man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called them, every living creature, that was its name. 
The man gave the names to all the livestock, to the birds of the heaven, to every beast of the field. But Abraham, there was not, or excuse me, Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on the man, and while he was asleep, took out one of his ribs and closed it up with flesh. And the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. The man said, This is at last bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Verse 24, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. What we have here in verse, excuse me, in chapter 2, verse 18 through 24, is we have the first wedding ceremony recorded. And so what I want us to do is I want us to draw several points to hope, hopefully for all of us in this room to see God's grand purpose for marriage, and that is his glory. So number one, if you take notes, number one, the purpose of marriage is found in God. The purpose of marriage is found in God. So let me just say this. The reason for all of us, and I think as we start with the idea of marriage, you have to begin with God because marriage was not man's idea. Think about this just for a second. Man did not come up with the idea to get married. God did. This is not man's creation. This is God's creation. God created it. God instituted it. So therefore, I think for all of us, we need to understand to to, to find the grand plan for what marriage is, you cannot start with us. You have to start with who created it and why he created it. Let me just say this. I don't want to get too far sidetracked, but let me just say this. This is why, and we said this here at our church, we love all people. But this is why no man has the authority to change the biblical definition of marriage because man did not create it. There's not a woman, a man, a judge, or any person in all humanity that has the right to change the idea and definition of marriage because man did not create it. This did not come from man. It came from God. I want you to look back in the passage, verse 18. Look what he says. He says, the Lord said, it is not good that man should be alone. Notice who initiated the conversation. Adam was not walking around miserable, lonely, this creation stinks. Where was he? He was in absolute paradise. Notice who the commentary comes from. It doesn't come from Adam. Who's it come from? God. God sees all of his creation. If you'll notice in the account of creation, walking through Genesis, what does he say after he creates everything? It, behold, it's what? It's good. For the first time in creation, he looks at something and says something is not good. And he says what's not good is that man would be alone. He says, I've not created something, a helper, fit for him. So what do we see in the text? God causes a sleep to fall upon Adam. He pulls a rib out. He forms woman. And all of a sudden you see that God has now fashioned for man a perfect partner, a perfect companion, a perfect helper to walk with him alongside life. We see Adam's commentary. He, is, he says this bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. I'm sure he was probably like, wow. We can, that's what the Hebrew says, wow. It just says, He'd never seen anything like that before. And then what we find in verse 24 is actually commentary written from Moses. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we see that Moses added something in verse 24. as He adds this in to provide commentary that God wants to be here to say this. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. And since what we have here is the first wedding ceremony and who initiates it? Adam did not initiate this. 
Where does it initiate? It initiates with God. God is the one who created and instituted marriage. So let me just say this. If we want to know the grand purpose of marriage, how marriage is to work, you cannot start with you. You cannot start what's in your heart. You have to begin with God. God created it. God instituted it. Only he knows how it is to work and what its purpose is to serve. Just to give you an illustration. Does anyone know what this is? As I say that, this is really little, and so I'm sure none of you can see this. This is not a knife or anything. This is a rope gator. A rope gator. Anybody ever heard of a rope gator? Besides Jess, don't raise your hand because I know you have. Or Kirsten. A rope gator. So this is an invention that my father-in-law, Mr. Tyler, uh, he came up with a design for it, created it. And basically what this serves as is if you are in a truck, if you're in a trailer, if you're needing to tie down things, this you basically can take one strand and you can use this to tie down and secure any load that you have. It's something he created, came up with. I'm, this is not a sales pitch. I'm just using this as an example. I remember the first time I saw Mr. Tyler when I first started dating Kirsten. I remember we were, I was helping him move something and he pulled one of these out and just went to town on it, secured the load, and I was like, what is that thing? And he says, this is something I made. It's called the rope gator. Well, now since I've seen him do it several times, I think I have a pretty good idea how it's used. I still would probably, if I had to use it today, I probably would still call him just to make sure that I remembered how to use it. But let me just say this. If you were to find this just laying on the ground, or if I was just to say, hey, Merry Christmas, here's a rope gator, and you were just to take it home, no instructions, no anything, you would probably look at this and say, thank you. Um, but I don't know how to use it. Why? Well, I would say this. In order to be able to find out how to use this thing, you got to go to the one who created it. To to fully get the full use out of this, this tool is I need to go to Mr. Tyler to figure out why did he make it? What is the purpose that this thing is to serve? How do you use it? How does it work? He has all the answers. Why? He created it. Now, this is just a a silly example, but it's the same thing when it comes to marriage. Many times when we come to marriage and we have difficulties in marriage, one of the things that we first do is, well, what am I doing wrong? And I think sometimes we do need to look into ourselves. But I would say this, for one of the things that we need to do first and foremost when it comes to the idea of marriage is we need to go to the one that created it. Why? He knows what marriage is intended for. He knows how marriage is to work. Why? Because it's his creation. He, he made it. This is something that he instituted. And so for all of us, when it comes to this idea of marriage, we have to begin with God. We can't begin with self-help. We can't begin with our feelings. To understand and grasp the bigness and purpose of marriage, you have to begin with God. So let me ask you a few questions just for us to ponder on. Number one, that is, this question is, do you know God? Let me say this as I ask that question, because somebody may have this, you know me, I ask a lot of questions. I understand this, that you may say, well, just, I mean, can't you get married if you don't know God? For sure. I think that's one of the great gifts and graces of God, that people can be married and never know who God is. But let me just say this, in order for marriage to do what it was intended to do, in order to see in the glory of what marriage and how it is to work can only be found in one person, and that's God. So number one, I think the huge question is this idea of marriage, whether you are married or whether you have thought about getting married, is this huge question of do you know God? 
Second question that comes to mind, and this, this will move us to our second point, is this. Since God created it, why? Why did God create marriage? What is the grand purpose for it? So that leads us to point number two. Number two, if you take notes, that is this. The purpose of marriage is to reveal God's unfailing love. The purpose of marriage is to reveal God's unfailing love. Marriage is to display the glory of who God is and one of the facets of the glory of God that marriage seeks to display is God's faithfulness, unfailing, steadfast love that he has for his people. This is one of the things I think you see all throughout all of Scripture. Now, let me just say this. If you start in Genesis and you work your way all the way through Revelation, there is this theme that runs the whole way of the Bible, and it's the theme of covenant, this theme of the covenant, that God seeks to make covenant with people. We see it in Genesis chapter 12. God makes a covenant with Abraham and his family. We see in Exodus and Deuteronomy, God makes a covenant with the people of Israel. We see in Samuel, we see that he makes a covenant with David. We see this constant covenant. We see in Jeremiah predicted this new covenant that's coming. Jesus Christ, they will be enacted in his blood. They will be the perfect covenant. Now, just to sum all of what a covenant is, a covenant is the deepest of all relationships where you enter into partnership of commitment, of promise, of faithfulness to one another. And here's what's crazy. Throughout all of Scripture, here's this huge grand theme that God desires to be in covenant, intimate, personal relationship with his creation. God desires to know you. He wants to know you. He wants to be in relationship with you. And the best picture to demonstrate that is the most intimate of all earthly relationships, and that is what? Marriage. One of the things that you'll notice, you see it in Old Testament, you see it in New Testament. Many times the language of the way that God's relationship is with his people is the language of marriage. I want you to listen to this. This is in Hosea. This is speaking. This is God speaking to his people, and he's speaking to what he's going to do at the end of time because of Jesus Christ. And I want you to listen to the language God used to speak to his people. He says this, In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. No longer will you call me my Baal, for I will remove the names of Baal out of her mouth. They shall remember by those names any more. I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the fields, the birds of the heaven, the creeping things on the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, war in the land, and I will make you lie down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and in steadfast love and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know that I am God. Over and over again, you see this language that God used to speak to his people of he does it in covenant marriage relationship terms. He says, I want to betroth you to myself. I want to make you my own. Many times what we see in the Old Testament and New Testament, what does he call his people? My bride. This is the image that he gives constantly to display his love is this image of marriage. This is exactly what, if you have your Bibles, I want you to flip over and I want you to see this is in Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, what Paul does is he walks through uh, the roles of wives and husbands. We won't do that again. But what he does in verse 31 is he actually quotes from Genesis chapter 2 and he says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And then he adds this, verse 32. This is a mystery that is very profound. Now, let me just say this. Marriage is a very profound thing, a very complex thing. 
And Paul says this mystery of what marriage is, and he says this to answer, here is what it is to show. I'm saying marriage refers to Christ and the church. Meaning this, the ultimate purpose of marriage here on this earth is to ultimately display the beauty of God's unfailing, steadfast, faithful love that he has toward his people. And when people look into our marriages, they should be able to see the glory of God's faithfulness and love that he has for his people. Let me just say this. There is nothing, well, the Lord is obviously most beautiful. But one of the things I think that's really beautiful here on this earth is when you see a couple that has been together for years. I don't know, sometimes movies will portray this where there may be a young couple or a dating couple or a couple that's engaged and they look over and it may be a couple that is older that has been married for many, many years and they always look on it like, one day I hope that that can be us. Think about it. I mean, let me just say this. Every year that you're married, if you're married in this room, obviously is special, right? One more year we've survived. We've made it through one more year, right? Men, just to remind you of last week, we want to honor our wives. And so one of the ways we honor is to remember that day. It's always a good note for all of us men to remember what that day is. So every year we celebrate anniversary is obviously special. But something begins to be really special when you begin to hit 40 years, 50 years, or you begin to hit over 60 years of marriage. Now, let me just say this. Why is that so beautiful? To see a couple that has been together 40 plus years together. I would say this, as you look on that couple, as you look on that life, one of the things I think that you think about is, man, there was probably a lot of really, really good times. But also, as you look on that couple, you also know that there were also probably very many difficult times. There were probably times that many arguments were had. There were times maybe that sickness or difficulty arose within their family. Maybe that family lost a child. Maybe there were different moments within the marriage where it seemed like the marriage was on the rocks and the word divorce was used many times. But one of the things that you, is you see these couples that have stayed through it all, one of the things, the word that always comes to my mouth, to my mind is what? Faithfulness. To see two people committing their life together to say no matter what happens, no matter what circumstance has arisen within our life, we committed to one another, we committed to our promise, and we stuck it out no matter what we faced. Let me just say that. That is beautiful, but let me just tell you this. That is what is to display the beauty of Jesus Christ in his church. Let me say this. There is nothing more beautiful to me when you read the whole story of Scripture, man really, really screws up really bad. But there's one thing that is constant through all of Scripture is that God remains faithful to his people over and over again. God never leaves them. God never fails them. Even many times the Scripture calls the people of God adulterers and prostitutes because you've run off and you've run with other gods and you run to other things to find life. But over and over again, God never gives up on his people and says, you know what? Ultimately, what I'm going to do is send my son to make sure they will remain in covenant with me. And God goes to every link to remain faithful to his people. Here's one of the things that you can take to the bank. God always keeps his promises. Always. 
God is always faithful. But let me just say this. You don't just see this in Scripture, but haven't you seen that in your own life if you're a believer? I mean, I was thinking back to my life. How many times since I was saved in seven years old, how many times I've disobeyed God? How many times I've made really, really poor decisions in my life? And here's one of the things that I know for a fact all throughout my life is that God has remained faithful to me. And sometimes I have to ask God the question of why? Why have you remained faithful to me? Why in the world is it, and I think through my life, the ups and downs of my life, but there's one thing that's always kept your promises. You've done exactly what you said you were going to do. And let me just say this. As I say all that, this is what marriage is meant to be. Marriage is to portray to the entire world the beauty and the excellence of God and his faithfulness to his people. This is why marriage is meant to last forever. As we would say on a marriage day, till death do us part. Because it is to display to the world that God is in fact faithful, that God will keep his promises, God will do exactly what he says. This is the grand picture of marriage. This is what the desire for every single marriage in this room, or if you intend to get married, is that your marriage would display the glory of God's faithfulness and steadfast love over and over again. Let me just say this. As you peel all of that back, and I believe this wholeheartedly, that when you begin to seek after having a marriage that glorifies and points to the bigness and glory of God, you will experience great happiness and joy no matter the circumstances you face. There will be great pleasure that takes place in your marriage. There will be excitement. There will be things that take place in your marriage. But it's not by seeking after happiness that you find it. It's after seeking after God that you begin to find the ultimate joy and purpose of what marriage was intended to be. I know for me, and, and I, I've done this as I, one of my assignments in seminary, I remember, was to work on pre-marriage counseling. And I've done, over my time, different weddings. I've done premarital counseling. And I remember one of the things that, as you talk through couples getting ready to get married, is to remind them that, yes, I hope you're happy. I hope it's joyful and awesome. But ultimately, this marriage is not about you. Of course, most couples are like, what are you talking about? Yes, it is about me. It's not. Yes, will you experience wonderful things in marriage, but ultimately, marriage is meant to point people to the bigness and glory of God's faithfulness and steadfast love. So let me do this, just in finishing this and in giving us some practical things. I want to do this in the last point, just I think it will be helpful. And that is, I want to ask this question of how do we develop a marriage that glorifies God? If, if the ultimate purpose of marriage is to glorify God, to point to God's faithfulness and his love that he has for his people, how can I make sure that I'm developing a marriage or one day when I get married that I will develop a marriage that glorifies God? Thank you for asking that question. We will, obviously there's a lot of things that I, we could say, but I just want to give you three things of application in this room. If you're married or if you're thinking about getting married, Ways to develop a marriage that glorifies God. And let me just say this for people in the room. And I said this last week or in the week before when we went through the roles of marriage. I understand there are people in here, you've been married longer than I've been alive, okay? 
So as I list these things to you, I'm not listing this as an expert who has everything figured out. Kirsten will tell you, I do not have everything figured out as a husband. But this was as I walked through these things in my own life. Uh, I told Kirsten, we were talking last night, of I want, I want to have a marriage that glorifies God. I want all of us, all the families that are represented here, or one day when you have a family, if you have a family, that I want you to have a marriage that will glorify Him. So several ways that we can develop a marriage that glorifies God. Number one, number one, and this is to people in this room that are not married. Number one, be careful who you date. Number one, be careful who you date. This is to students, to college students, to people that are single, that are thinking about marriage. If you want to develop a marriage that glorifies God, you need to be very careful who you choose to date. Here's why. The person you date is the person that you're going to marry. I mean, unless you have like an arranged marriage and there's no dating process, you just jump straight to it. But think about all of us. As we've gotten married, there was something that came before marriage. There was courtship. There was dating, whatever you want to call it. There was something that took place in order before we got married. So for all of us, we need to understand this. Is that students, college students, if you're single in this room, you need to be very, very careful who you date. Let me just say this, and I've had to tell couples this as they get ready for marriage counseling. A wedding is awesome. The joy of a wedding is awesome. But a marriage, or excuse me, a wedding lasts for about two or three hours, and a marriage lasts for a lifetime. More people, more dating couples and engaged couples spend more time preparing for the wedding that will last a few hours than they do their marriage that should last forever. So be very careful who you date. I'm going to give you some piece of advice that a pastor gave me, and I'm going to say it. Let me explain, because you're going to jump to conclusions right when I say it, okay? If you... If, Whatever you do, do not date a Christian. If you're single, if you're a student, if you're a college student, be sure that you do not date a Christian. People are like, I'm leaving. Did the pastor just say that? Here's what he said. He says, here's what I encourage you to do. Date someone who's godly. Date someone who knows and has fallen in love with Jesus Christ. Here's why he made the difference. In our culture, in our day, there's something that we would call cultural Christianity. There's a lot of people that say and walk around that say they're a Christian, but are not head over heels in love with Jesus. There's a lot of people that call and says, yeah, 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 I'm a Christian, but they're not walking in godliness after the Lord. So let me just encourage you this. If you are thinking about getting married one day, find someone that is in love with Jesus. Why is that so important? In Ephesians chapter 5, one of the things that he says in the roles, we've already kind of examined these. Wives, submit to your husband as you have submitted to Jesus. Husband, love your wife as Jesus has loved the church and gave himself for her. How in the world would we be able to submit or be able to love the roles that you have in marriage if you don't know who Jesus is? I would say this, as it comes to loving, I have, in order for me to love Kirsten the way that Christ loved the church, I have to know that love. I can't give that love away that I have no clue about. So let me just say this for if you're in this room and you're dating someone, be very careful who you date because the person you date will end up being the person that you marry. Number two, number two, to have a marriage that will glorify God, number two is be sure that you're filled with the Spirit of God. Number two 
be filled with the Spirit of God. Right before, in Ephesians chapter 5, right before Paul gets into talking through the roles of marriage, I want, if you have your Bible turned there, I want you to look in verse 18. He says this right before it. He says this, do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But he says this, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, we've said this, I've preached on this back in January. This word for being filled with the Spirit is not a one-time thing. This is to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit, for the Holy Spirit to continually fill your life. Now, why is it so important for a believer to continually be filled with the Spirit of God? Here's why. Galatians says this, But I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the fruit of the Spirit, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against there is no such law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And let us not be conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. One of the things that you see is through the Holy Spirit, you are enabled to do something that you are incapable of doing. Meaning this, you are able to not live for yourself anymore. One of the number one, and I've told you this, one of the number one things that has affected me most that I've realized most about myself when I got married is how selfish I was. There's nothing that has revealed that to me more than being married and then when we had children. I'm like, I am a selfish person. One of the things that overcomes being selfish is what being filled with God's spirit, to be filled with the very spirit of God enables you. Think about this. Let's just think about if you're married this, this morning, hopefully you'll be married when we get done and I'll still be married when I get done, is to say this, the fruit of the Spirit. Think of this in your spouse. What if constantly you saw love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control constantly shown from your spouse each and every day? You would say this, that sounds like an awesome marriage. How does that come about? It comes about by what? The Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. So let me just say this to all of us in this room. If you're married this if you're married this morning and you want to have a, a marriage that glorifies God, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Seek after the Holy Spirit every single morning that you awake. Seek and ask the Holy Spirit to fill you and enable you to give that kind of love away. Number three, and that is this: how to have a marriage that glorifies God. Number three, choose to love your spouse. Choose to love your spouse. There's this quote that I make often when I um, do a marriage. It's from a YouTube video, which is good. Here's what it says. It's not the love that sustains the promise, but it's the promise that sustains the love. It's not the love that sustains the promise, but it's the promise that sustains the love, meaning this, and I always tell the couples as we get ready to get married. Many times we get to the wedding ceremony, we get if you've been there, you get ready and you're about to say the vows. Most people are, and I always have to tell them, hey, if you didn't hear me, just ask again. We'll repeat your vows. But many times what I have to remind couples, usually the wife is concerned about the wedding. Is it pretty? Do people love my dress? Is everything exactly the way I wanted it? The guy is thinking, I just want to get out of here and go to the honeymoon. That's all that's usually on his mind. And so usually we have the marriage, and one of the things that I usually have to tell them is focus right here because this is the most important part of what you're about to do. You are about to make promises to one another. Don't be thinking elsewhere. Think right here where you are. You are about to make promises to one another, and here's what, what you're telling one another. No matter what happens in this life, I will be there. 
no matter whether it's good, no matter where it's bad, no matter whether we have ups or whether we have downs, I promise to always be there. Unless for death, I will be there, and you can count on me being there. And here's one of the things why I always say this quote. There are times where people say, well, I just, I fell out of love, or I don't feel love. What is to inform me is not my feeling, but my promise. What is to inform me every single day of my life is not whether I feel like it, but what I promised. One of my mentors and one of my favorite preachers, his name is Jason Curry, and he wrote this, I want to read this to you, he wrote this back in 2014. And to me, this encapsulates everything of this idea of what it means to choose to love your spouse. Because here's what I, I, I grasped this morning. I understand as we walk in, if you're married in this room, and one of the things that we hope here at First Monroe that we can be able to take the mask off. Because there are a lot of times you walk in here and you, you dress nice, you put on a, a great face, and the moment you walk out of these doors, maybe the moment you walk in your car, or maybe the moment you walk in home, that maybe some marriages right now are on the rocks. Maybe there are marriages or things that are taking place in your marriage that you would never bring up or never just say, hey, let me wave my hand and tell you what's just unload everything that's going on in my marriage. But there are people in here or maybe in this room that are walking through a difficult time in marriage. Or maybe if you aren't now, maybe you will one day. And I want you to listen to what he says. He he entitles this, what he wrote, he entitles it, Building a Marriage That Lasts. Or I could say this, Building a Marriage That Glorifies God. He says this, Week after week, a couple will sit in my office with the same story. They will look at me with exhausted and frustrated eyes and say, we are not in love anymore. I smile and respond, I can help. Start loving each other today. They look confused and say, I don't think you understand. We are not in love. I smile and reply, I do not think you understand. Love is not a noun, it is a verb. Love is not something you fall into like a pool or out of like a chair. That is lust. Love is something that you choose to do each day. This world tells us that love is a place that you magically find. It is not. That is a lifetime movie. Love is a choice you make each day. Some days are harder than others. Some days are easy because we feel it. But make no mistake, a love that lasts is built on something to love regardless of your circumstance, regardless of your feeling. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, love one another. Love is a verb. That is an action. It is a choice, and I believe the foundation to building a marriage that lasts is one that is full of love. Our culture has confused love with lust. Lust, like all sin, is rooted on building my own selfish feelings and desires. Lust tells you this is what you really want. This is what will really satisfy you. This is what is really true. This is what will complete you. Lust promises to deliver what your heart wants most, and that is love. For a while, those feelings may seem great and may be a great mask, but it is not love. Soon those feelings will fade and leave you looking for someone or something else to fulfill your desires, your passions, or your feelings. Sin never delivers on its promise. Lust will never fill your heart, and it leaves you and everyone around you hurt, lonely, and empty. The world says marriage is built on chemistry, feeling, emotion, and when you lose that loving feeling, it's time to look for someone or something else that will fill you up. That is lust. That is not love. Chemistry does not build the loving marriage or keep it strong. It's determined by your character. Today, you must choose to love even in the moments that you feel like you don't want to. That is how a marriage lasts. That is how a marriage stays strong. That is how a marriage remains passionate. To love someone means the other person goes first. Their needs, their wants, their dreams, their time, and your heart of the spouse always comes first. That is the opposite of lust. 
and it demands us to depart from our own selfish ways. You will be amazed the deep love, the more surface, less surface feeling that will develop as you choose to love each other every single day. It will not be easy. You must choose to love one another over and over again, but it's worth it. Real love is worth fighting for. Remember, Jesus never asked us to live out something he did not model. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. What causes us to have a marriage that glorifies Christ? Every single day we choose to love our spouse the way that God chose to love us. It is a choice that we make every moment we get up. Today I will love you. Even if we're in an argument. Even if things are awesome. Even if the kids are acting like crazy people. My love is set on you every single day and there is nothing that you can do to change it. Think how beautiful that is and just remember that is exactly what Jesus has done for you. No matter where you are, no matter what you do, God says, you're mine and my love is set upon you. I will be faithful to you no matter what you walk through. My prayer is that my marriage, that your marriage would display the beauty of glory of God's unfailing, steadfast love, and the world would look upon our marriages and see something so beautiful. Two people, not a perfect marriage, but a marriage that displays the love and glory of who Jesus Christ is. That's a marriage that will glorify God. Let me pray. God, as I was getting ready for this message God, I couldn't help but think, God, of your faithfulness to me. God, your faithfulness to your people. That, God, you have remained faithful through it all. And, God, my my prayer for my life, my prayer for my marriage, and, God, my prayer for every marriage or every future marriage in this place is that, God, our marriage would display what you've done for us. The way you've loved us and been faithful to us. And that, Lord, we would give that back to our spouse. Lord, I don't know what marriages are in this place this morning. But, Holy Spirit, I'm thankful that you know every situation. You know everything that they, that, that they need. And Holy Spirit, I pray that during this time of response, that Holy Spirit, you would move powerfully in their life. And that, Lord, you would cause healing. Lord, you would cause restoration to take place. God, in marriages in this room. Lord, I love you. Lord, I'm thankful for your love. I praise you in Jesus' name.